Welcome to the latest episode of People Behind Politics. My name is James Matthewson, and today my guest is Pablo Ohana. Pablo's not only worked for three consecutive Liberal Democrat leaders, and he's been an advisor through some very, very turbulent times in British politics, but he's also a talent agent who's represented public figures and actors, including Billy Piper, Kate Garraway, and Hugh Bonneville. I'm really looking forward to chatting with him, and before we get into it, make sure to subscribe for our weekly episodes and follow People Behind Politics on all of our social media platforms. Thanks for listening. Pablo Ohana, welcome to People Behind Politics. Hello, great to be here. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks for taking the time to join us. Our Pablo is, as I mentioned in his introduction, the founder and director of Apostrophe Group. Now, this is looking after apostrophe campaigns and apostrophe talent, working with a, a huge range, quite a diverse range of people, Pablo, from politicians mm. to, to entertainers, actors, well-known celebrities. Um, that's quite a fascinating space to be in, I'd imagine. Yes, there is more crossover than you might imagine. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And and you have, just to give people a bit of a recap, in your experience, worked predominantly for the Liberal Democrats, but you've worked yep. for Tim Farron mm-hmm. um, during the time of the second referendum policy. Mm. You've worked for Vince Cable, Joe Swinson, Letitia James. Um, you've worked for you know a, a huge range of politicians there. And what I'm really interested to talk to you about, Pablo, something that we've got in common mm. is the fact that you didn't go to university. <laughs> how, how, can, you, can you just explain to us how? Because a lot of people do ask the same. I mean, how on earth you end up you know, working with basically three consecutive um, leaders of, of you know, the third biggest political party in the country without having been to university? <laughs> yeah. So, well, I... Um... I did. I was never educational, right? So my brother, my brother is the opposite. So my brother is just flew through GCSEs, A levels, <laughs> college, uh, university, PhDs, Fulbright, scholarship, everything. Like he's he's the brains. Um, I just really struggled always to connect with school, with college, with just everything. I really, really struggled. And so when I finally stumbled out of um, out of A levels and scraped. God knows what, some C's and D's and a U, I think. I definitely, I mean, my maths GCSE, I had to try six times, I think it was. I always forget. I think it was about six times to get a C in maths. Um, so I never, ever connected um, with sort of curriculums and education and that sort of path. So when I finished college, I just thought this really, this university thing is not going to work for me. And I was really pushed into it by a lot of people, yeah. um, particularly the college and sort of family and friends. Every, you know, that's just the route that you follow. It's just the sort of the formula that you just, that you go down. Oh, yeah, it's an expectation, um, isn't it? That, that if, yeah. you want a, if you want a career in anything, then you're going to have to go to university. Well, this was it. And there's also that, there's there's a sort of line that I was, that I was fed fairly often, actually, which was that if you don't go to university, you're never going to earn more than this. You're never going to get this kind of job. You're never going to get higher than here. You're mm-hmm. going to be stuck in dead-end jobs. You're going to be stuck here and stuck this. And I just thought, no, I, that's really, that's really not me. <laughs> um, I was very fortunate in that I had, um, when I was 13, I started running a fan site for Billy Piper, the actor. 
And um, by the time I was 15, I had met her a couple of times and she asked me one time um, if I knew who was running the fan site. And I was like, well, funny you should ask. <laughs> yes, I do. It's me. And she said, you know, I would love to take you for a drink, say thank you for your work. And I went away and thought, well, this is going to be wow. my only chance to have a one-on-one with Billy Piper. Yeah. So I went with like a full presentation about like what she should do, like we should make it official and do this and do that. And she loved it and we did it. And so... That like I had that kind of when I left college, I had that kind of there. So I already had her as a sort of um, a name on my CV. And, yeah, absolutely. Um, she was very, very supportive and really encouraging. And also, she had not gone; she hadn't even passed GCSEs. Mm-hmm. Um, so she had a sort of similar outlook uh, to me. And so I, I, I decided that I was not going to go to university, and I was just going to try and sort of work my way up in sort of wherever I could Mm -hmm. um I ended up moving to Belfast um and working at Titanic Belfast in marketing for a little bit um and then the jump to politics actually came as a joke believe it or not (laughs) this Um, is is this the dare that your friends yeah yeah. so someone dared me they saw a job um I was looking for kind of experience in pure like kind of PR yeah um and my friend was like oh my god this is hilarious there's a job going for your local MP John Leach and I knew John like he was you know party affiliation aside he was a brilliant local MP he really worked hard yeah and he'd actually helped me with um my former employer um, when I worked at a cinema, they had been underpaying me and sort of getting away with it on the sly. And John had really, really stuck his neck out for me, actually, and really oh, helped right, okay. me sort of fix that problem. And I was like 16, 17 at the time. I couldn't even vote. So um, <laughs> I was aware that he was like a really good local MP. Um, and I thought, well, I guess like there's, you know, it would just be interesting to see what happens. So they dared me to apply, and I did. Um, and I put in like the most half-assed application you've ever seen. I, I mean, I can't remember, but it really would not have been very good. Um, somehow got an interview, um, and I thought, Jesus, am I really going to fly over? Because I was in Belfast at the time, you know, fly over oh, back wow. to Manchester, of course, to to do this interview for a job that I am not going to take because I'm not interested in politics. <laughs> I'm not interested in the Lib Dems. My dad is like hardcore labor like you know campaign yeah. with the miners he like quit his job to to run food banks for the miners like really he was like you're gonna get disowned if you yeah start. exactly he was like <laughs> yeah. you don't get more labor than my dad like he is <laughs> he is you know labor through and through um so I thought you know I, I'm just not interested in this anyway so I, I thought I'll go for the interview it's good experience it is in PR so you know I'm not going to get the job but it'll be interesting to see what happens went for the interview, I thought it was terrible, um, you know, because the only experience I had was in was in tourism and was in kind yeah. of entertainment and sort of celebrities and this sort of stuff. And I just got ripped to pieces by them. Um, or so I thought. And I, I sort of felt like I held my ground. Um, and then they offered me the job. And I was like, Whoa. what? Why would you do that? That was, And I remember saying to them, I was like, but I thought that interview went terribly. And they were like, no, we were gunning for you because we wanted to see how you were going to sort of hold up and yeah. and you did great. So, and that was that was kind of, that was how it happened. I literally just sort of fell into... That was, that was <laughs> literally that. your first foray into mm. politics was that interview. So from, from Piper, yeah. from Billy Piper into politics. Yeah. And then from there... You've been, I guess, I guess, kind of once you're into that role and you start getting involved mm. elsewhere and helping with, you know, I mean, a, a lot of people who've 
who've already recorded for this podcast have said the same thing. You know, it, yeah. it's it's like once you once you're in there, you get pulled into so many other projects. Exactly. exactly. Um, after that was the you worked to elect John onto the the Manchester Council. Is that right? Yeah. Which... So I started working for John um, in the middle of the coalition, which, as everyone knows, was a really tricky time for the Lib Dems. <laughs> But it was really uniquely tricky for John, actually, because he and Charles Kennedy were the two Lib Dems that actually didn't vote for the coalition. Okay, um, yeah. So it was, it you know, and actually John um, was, was pretty faithful to his constituents in the sense that anything he really didn't think um, sort of aligned with him personally, he didn't vote for. So things like, in fact, actually the bedroom tax, um, he was the first MP in the whole of the Commons to speak out against it. Um, And then obviously subsequently voted against it as well. Tuition fees, he did the same. So I had, I began to kind of really find him personally quite um, energizing and sort of quite inspirational, actually, in a sort of in a sense, I remember so fondly. I'm actually really good friends with um with the whips now, but at the time it was like, <laughs> Hi Pablo, and I'm like, No, you no. know he's not gonna do it. You just you no, know he's not gonna vote for it. You know he's not gonna do it. <laughs> and so he I would get a call like can we just talk for five minutes to make it look like I tried to persuade you? And I'm like, yeah, go on then. <laughs> so now we're like really good friends with the whips. But um yeah. but, but yeah, uh, that, ma- that he was that kind of maverick kind of you know yeah. you're working for someone who is is has the freedom to be able to do you know in his mind he's thinking I'm yeah. I'm going to represent what well, I believe in what my constituents believe in had a very fair line which was that he voted against going into coalition so actually he was not bound by that agreement at all and so mm. some things he thought was good, obviously same sex marriage things like raising the tax threshold he voted for all of that but anything that he thought was not sort of in line with how he felt or how his constituents felt he didn't and so I I became really compelled by him and his kind of work. I mean, I've never seen anyone work like him. He is just I I I don't think I don't think I've ever seen anybody work as hard as John in my entire yeah. life. It's really it's really something. And so when he lost in 2015, um I mean I was devastated. And the and the funny thing was is that I was still new enough to politics that I hadn't experienced a loss. Okay. And so there was the there was this moment in the count when everyone around me was devastated about what was happening nationally. And they were like, they're projecting we're going to get 12 MPs. And I was like, well, that's all right, because John will be one of the 12. Because I just remember thinking, like, how could you not vote for this guy? Like, he's just, yeah. he's just a, like, great. Um, and obviously everyone else was like, no, Pablo, like, this is this is bad. Like, yeah. we're, we're hanging on by a thread. Um <clears throat> So when he lost, I was just, I was so upset. I, you know, I remember crawling into my house, literally on my hands and knees. I was just devastated. Um, and, you know, you know, like when you lose, it's it's painful. But there was something really personal about him because I just, I was not yet invested in the party. It was really about yeah. him. You invested in him personally in the work exactly. you've seen him do. Exactly. And also there was the element of, you know, having to go into the office and clear it out and all this sort of stuff and people knocking on oh. and telling us how upset they were and all this sort of stuff. It's awful. Um, so when he said he was going to run for council, I was like, right, here we go. Like this is, you know. <laughs> um, and he, at the time, Manchester Council was 96 out of 96 Labour, which, you know, I 
I feel like most most people, regardless of their sort of party <laughs> stance, would think that's probably not ideal. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So we. So I stuck around because I just thought we've got to get him where he belongs, and um. And we did, and we ran a really. I mean, we we ran the kind of campaign actually that I. At the time, I'd never seen anything like it. And since, it's funny that I have now worked on so many campaigns and I've still never seen anything like that Like That was a massive swing in that seat, wasn't it? It was. I mean, we, you know, there's throwing the kitchen sink and then there's throwing the whole fucking street. (laughs) Like, we... we, Absolutely. Honestly, we were going to get him on that council whether it killed us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I was... That was a really nice moment, actually. And there's 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 quite an infamous picture in our local party that... um, the local media taught the MEN of me standing in the middle of the room trying to brief journalists, but I just burst out <laughs> crying. <laughs> so there's just a picture of me standing in the middle of the room, just like floods of tears. And there's like a caption that's like, Lib Dem spokesperson tries to like brief media, but you know, breaks down or something. <laughs> so it's very funny. Yeah. Um, People forget though that, you know, you're emotionally invested in this, yeah, you know, really, like yeah. you are with professionals and people who work behind politics are, you know, always professional, but this means something. Like people don't come Absolutely. into politics without it meaning something to them. And you well, seeing that through, John, will have had that huge impact on you. Absolutely. And also you get to know them in a way that nobody else does. And yeah. it's funny, I've just finished reading Humer Aberdeen's book. Humer Aberdeen being oh, yeah. Hillary yeah. Clinton's um sort of chief of staff and advisor. And I got really upset listening, like, well, I li- I part listened and part read it. Um, and I got quite upset like reading it because you can really feel the pain that she went through. And you just think, I mean, that's a tough gig. Like, that's a really tough ride that she went through, both, both you know, Huma personally, but Hillary as well. And, yeah. you know, it's, I, I could really feel that. And I just thought, I know how that feels. Like, it's it's really rough. And when you invest in the person and to see it, you know, to see them and their vision and, you know, rejected, it's, and the bigger the scale, the, the the harder that is. You know, when we talk about like Humor Aberdeen, you know, Hillary Clinton's, you know, having to come out and deliver that mm. speech afterwards, and even just that, you know, anybody who's faced that level of defeat, mm. regardless of their politics, really you know, you still have to pick yourself up immediately yeah. and and go out there and deliver a speech, or you know, find your I mean, supporters. I, I and, don't know how she did that. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, I, big, I incredible just... strength. A couple of days ago, um, Masterclass, the online sort of training program, um, oh, released, yeah. uh, they they released uh, a, a session with Hillary Clinton and she reads the speech that she would have given had she won. And oh, this wow. is the first time it's ever been uh, seen or heard or read. And, you know, it was hard. Like, I mean, Hillary clearly found it difficult. And even for me, I was just sitting there and I thought, this is just awful. Like, this is so, like, why am I having to, you know, go an alternate reality? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's really tough. But, um, but yeah, but they, you know, 2015 was difficult, but seeing John win in 2016 made it all worth it. And it was, Same, it was yeah, really you had a great. turnaround there. And yeah. Uh, yeah, after that, is that when you moved to, to the Lib Dem Party HQ after that? Yeah, so I moved, um, I started working on the referendum campaign because uh, that was sort of beginning sort of late 2015. Um, and I was asked because um, the Lib Dems kind of do like a party awards and we had won um best digital campaign um in for the 2015 election and um we had won that and i had sort of been leading on that so they asked if i would get involved um in running the remain campaign um and i thought 
you know, why not? I'm, I'm, I mean, I, again, at the time I was not, I was not a massive Lib Dem. I was not massively pro European. I mean, I was pro European. My mum is Spanish. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't the kind of, um, passion that it has become now. And so, yeah, so then I moved, I moved into running that. Um, and what was that like in those early stages of the Remain campaign? Um, and I was kind of involved you know, campaigning on the side for Remain as well. And at the time, you know, I was a bit, bit like you, you know, I wasn't overly mm. passionate, but, you know, my parents, family members, swathes of family members were, were voting to leave and they'd committed mm. to that from the start. So, you know, I kind of knew from the start that there was going to be challenges there, but and challenging conversations. But how, how was that for you kind of emotionally as a person? How did you find that campaign? Yeah, I mean, that was really, really tough. I mean, there was, you know, we lived on a battle bus for like three weeks, just, you know, <laughs> eating pizza or whatever. But I mean, there were a couple of things. I think one of, I mean, it was, <laughs> again, there was, a, there was a line in Hugh Aberdeen's book about this, where she realizes that she gets older, that she should have made more time for her friends and family. But I remember one of my friends, Emma had, it was her, I think it was her 30th birthday. Um, or of some sort, and she had like hired out a cottage, and like there was a hot tub, and she wanted everyone to come down, and you know, I, <laughs> I got dropped off. Um, the battle bus actually very kindly dropped me off um, nearby, <laughs> and pulled up to this like tiny cottage in the Lake District, and I got off, and I went inside, and I was like, oh my god, like sat down, immediately fell asleep, like just oh. like fell asleep the second I hit that sofa, and I think I woke up sometime the next morning or sometime in the middle of the night, just like. Like <laughs> drooling on my friend who had been like too scared to move because it had been like the first time I'd slept in God knows how long. Um, so that was it was a really exhausting one, but it was also really fascinating actually because I remember really vividly um, the the day before the referendum on the Wednesday, um, all the battle buses kind of met up. So you had um, all the different parties, all the different kind mm-hmm. of groups and campaigns and movements and all sort of. And we met and I was really stressed because we had just come um, from, you know, I think it was Newcastle. It was, it was either, I think I'm pretty, it was definitely the Northeast. I'm pretty sure it was Newcastle and we'd just come from there. And I was really freaking out because they had made themselves very clear, you know, (laughs) they were not voting Remain. Um, Yeah, (laughs) having campaigned for Remain in the Northeast uh, and being from the Northeast, I can uh, attest to that, absolutely. So you know what it was like, and and I was really freaking out, and we'd met in like, I don't know, in the middle of like some, I don't know, pullover in, I don't know, Birmingham or something, I don't know where we were. I think, yeah, it was Birmingham because we we were on our way to that, um, the big kind of final rally when you had like the leader of, you had David Cameron, obviously you had the leader of Dems, Tim Farron, you had Caroline Lucas, you had Paddy Ashdown, you had like real like quite big hitters there. Um, and I was really stressed and everyone was like, oh, Pablo, chill out, like it's fine, like it's going to be fine. I was like, it's, I listen, like, I, I've just come from Newcastle, I'm telling you, it is not fine. <laughs> um, and it was, it, that, that campaign was really interesting for that reason. Seeing the whole country traveling all over the place um, and seeing, you know, areas that had voted Labour, that had voted Lib Dem, that had voted Conservative, that were voting in all these different ways for Remain and Leave. And you just, it was just fascinating. I mean, really, really an eye-opener, actually, to... Mm-hmm. Um, parts of the country that were feeling left behind and let down and all the all these kind of issues that have come up since the referendum, well, during the referendum and since yeah. the referendum that have been kind of exacerbated. Um, but it was really, yeah, I mean, it was a really, it was a really emotionally draining and exhausting, but 
just fascinating in that sense, like understanding the kind of divides that were going on across the country. Um, really, Absolutely. really interesting. And you had you you were advising Tim Farron around the time of that. Well, it was that Channel Four interview as well? And yeah. around the time of um, the second referendum, yeah. kind of like positioning for the party. And I mean, it, you know, purely from a professional sense and as an advisor, and I can imagine that being a like you know, you think back to times when you've been stressed, and often you don't think about the level of stress you were under until you look back and you think, yeah. God, how was I how was I actually fighting? you know, what was keeping me awake? What was keeping yeah. me alive at the time? I imagine that was one junk of those food. kind of Yeah, <laughs> a lot of junk food, yeah. <laughs> uh, is, I imagine that was one of those points for you, was it that kind of pinnacle of everything going on? Yeah. Yeah, it was. And it's funny because um so I mentioned obviously I I worked for kind of in and around the Lib Dems now since for feels like forever but I actually didn't become a member of the party um until I was working with Tim and um he had uh it was actually during the referendum that Tim was Tim was the only national leader at the time who was calling for the UK to take more refugees as you know like most politicians whether a leader or an MP like they take they have like a handful of issues where they're like this is what I this like this is what I really care about this is what keeps me up at night and it was clear that refugees was becoming one of those things for Tim. Something had hit him and he just couldn't let go of the fact mm-hmm. that we had turned our back on the refugee crisis. And um, he had been to the, the beaches um, of Lesbos um, actually during the referendum. And um, he had seen these really kind of powerful images. You know, you saw the front page of the boy lying face down, all this sort of stuff. He'd, yeah. been, he'd seen this, he'd experienced it. Um, and it was actually his, it was his first kind of major speech. And it was, it was actually after the, ref, it was actually after the 2016 referendum, um, that he gave this speech, um, about what he'd seen on the beaches of Lesbos. And every time he rehearsed it, um, he couldn't get through it. There was just this, there was this line about, you know, we as a country as in the UK, we think we've been through so much, you know, we've, we've had Brexit, we've had the Labour leadership contest, um, we've had a new prime minister, we've had this, we've had that, but none of that makes any difference to this, you know, to these families who are who are landing on flimsy boats and they're yeah. risking their lives to try and get a better life and we are just turning our backs on them. And every time he got to it, he just couldn't get through. And I remember oh. thinking, I wouldn't like, I wonder what it feels like to be, you know, to have that weight. He had explained how this aid worker had had shouted at him, basically, like, you know, what the fuck is your country doing? You know, you've yeah. turned your back on these people. You're here handing out bottles of water. Fine, great, but why don't you go home and take some fucking refugees? Mm-hmm. And you can and see that, that had, pressure on him. That exactly. Had that emotional toll. Yeah. yeah. And so and so he gave the speech, and every time he rehearsed it, he broke down. And I thought, do you know what? If if you if you're gonna cry at um at refugees, you know, then <laughs> yeah. you're my man. <laughs> that's that's a bit of me. Um, yeah, yeah. And so that was actually I stood at the back of the hall and he finally delivered the speech to conference and all the media was there. And um that clip went ever as all the channels and they, you know, they picked up on it. And I just thought, do you know what? This is it. And I I joined the party in the middle of, of in the middle of that speech. Um because yeah. it was really powerful. But as you say, it's like it's it's those moments and and the second referendum policy, which was obviously so massive at the time, um, that yeah, you look back and you think, I don't know how I actually <laughs> how I got through that. How was... how am I yeah, how did I make it through? Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, one that's it's fascinating you say that about the 
your membership of the party and when you joined, you know, after already doing all that work for them. Mm. Because there's so many people, I think the, the traditional route perhaps would be through, you know, they join a membership of a political party, mm. they campaign for that political party, and then somewhere along the line that, you know, flips over into yeah. you know, a job offer or they apply for a role within the party. But, you know, you I think by that point, several years into working for a party, people are normally becoming disenfranchised and normally <laughs> become a bit cynical or, you know, oh, God, yeah. you know, you don't know what it's actually like behind the scenes. It's chaos. or But whereas actually you've become re-energized and you've thought, actually, do you know this? Now is the time for me to join it and have yeah. to get involved in, in a personal well, capacity. It's also a very, for me, it's very personal in the sense that it's about people. Like, I really believe in the people. And John was a perfect example of that in that he could have been any party. If he had defected to another party, I would have followed him there. In fact, actually, during the coalition, it was an endless stream of rumours that John was going to defect to um, either Labour or to an independent. It was like, mm. it was almost weekly that I was having to close down some rumour in some newspaper that John was going to defect. Um, uh, particularly actually to Labour when when um, the bedroom tax was going on. Yeah. Uh, because he had been so vocal about it um, from the very beginning, was everybody really was convinced. The, the party was convinced, the leadership was convinced, the newspapers were convinced, everyone was convinced he was going to defect. And frankly, I would follow John anywhere. Like, he's the kind of person that if you, if your values are that party, then that's the party for me. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Like, it's so for me, it was very much seeing seeing John, seeing Tim, working with the people that I had done, I started to realize through them that that was the party I should be in. Yeah, um, rather than seeing things written down and thinking, exactly. oh yeah, they sound like my values, or I can exactly. make my values fit. You've said, I can see demonstrated in these exactly. people their actions, that's for but me. But also, also seeing how passionate they are and seeing how difficult, because no politician is perfect and they make mistakes, but seeing how they... Um, sort of agonize over the decisions made me think, yeah. you know, it's so easy to look at a manifesto and think, well, you know, the Lib Dems said they'd get rid of tuition fees and they tripled them. Okay, all Lib Dems are evil from now on. <laughs> Actually, it's really, it's it's really not that simple. And seeing um, the Lib Dems agonize over decisions that they had to make in coalition and after it really made me start to think, do you know what? No, they're not perfect. But when they make decisions, they really are thinking about it and they are trying hard to make the right decision. And do they get it right? No, not always. But when they get it wrong, they tend to own up to it. And this is the this is the, the ultimate irony is that I am really far from Nick Clegg's biggest fan. <laughs> However, I do think you have to give him props for the fact that he did apologize for that mistake. Yeah, and I'm not sure yeah. that you could find me another politician that has done that recently. I mean, certainly not who we have in government at the moment. Apologies um, are something that sometimes can be hard. Yeah, hard and to he, come by in he was completely ridiculed for it. But I thought, well, at least he did apologize. Mm -hmm. You know, at least he did own up to his mistake. And so it was things like that that I started to think these at heart are good people. Um, yeah. And the likes of Tim and John. Um, I worked with Catherine Bearder as well, who was at the time the only MEP that the Lib Dems had, and their work ethic was so immense that I just thought, "You guys are, you guys are pretty good, actually." Yeah, you've earned, you've earned <laughs> my respect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, do you think it's something that is a challenge for for political staff and for you know whether it be parliamentary, political, whatever it is, people who are working with MPs and politicians? Mm. That's something that you don't think about when you 
when you're first getting involved in it, I guess. But that that emotional kind of conflict where you you know you do you you go down the pub or you talk to your friends mm. or you speak to that uncle who's got some questionable views, you know, <laughs> and, and you, you know they say to you like, oh, they're all the same, you know, yes. oh, they're all the same, yeah. or Not or you mine. know. Oh, I all got them, their, their, you know, snouts in the trough, and and then you're exactly. you're sitting there in the office, seeing you know um, benefits case work welfare kids like exactly. real uh, work that's having an impact on people's lives, exactly. and you're thinking, no, yeah. it's not. They're not all the same. Yeah, because I'm seeing actually the real the reality of the situation, and there is that you know the public don't see that side exactly. of it really, do they? It's really, it's really, really tough, actually. And I think um, <clears throat> it's one of the things that has has kept me going in politics, actually, because it has not been easy to be um, a Lib Dem for the last few years. Um, mm. Actually, it's not really been easy to be on the left <laughs> for the last <laughs> yeah. uh, sort of 10 years or so. Yeah. Um, but it is seeing those people, and like you say, you, you know, oh, they're all the same, they're all this. Actually, they're not. The problem is that good people like John don't bother with getting themselves in the media because they'd rather just get on with the job. The people who want to get in the media are the people who have things to cover up. That's yeah. why you hear about them. And that is basically why I founded Apostrophe Campaigns, to give people like John a chance at getting their message out there. And John hates it, right? For the record, John hates everything I do. He can't be bothered with interviews. He doesn't enjoy media. He just wants to do the job. But that's what makes him such a good politician. Yeah. Um, well, actually, that's not true. It makes him a bad politician, but a good campaigner and a good... A good campaigner, yeah. And, and the right kind of person who you want to be a exactly, politician, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, so that's but... that's kind of that's what keeps me going anyway. Seeing that kind of the personal um, sort of aspect of it. Yeah, absolutely. And you've you've spoken. I mean, we've spoken a lot about that personal journey that you've been on. Um, I, I'm I'm guessing this is something I'm asking everyone about. But I'm guessing imposter syndrome has been a feature of uh, of that journey along the way. I mean, absolutely for me. I mean, I I really faked it till I sort of made it you know it was it, because the, you know so but there's a fantastic story that encapsulates this actually um and uh, I don't know if I'm gonna get in trouble for telling this but um <laughs> go on, my, go on. <laughs> that's, they're the best kind of stories Absolutely. Um, so my so I met um uh, I met a really good now one of my best friends um Richard and uh he was working for John as well we both started working at the same time but he was a lot more experienced he'd been involved in the Lugans for a long time and every time we went to a meeting, I would look at him like, I've got no idea who these people are. <laughs> and he would look over and be like, okay, to the left of you is like this person, like minister for this or like shadow section, whatever. Like all these kind yeah. of like would explain who I'm with. Um, and I just had no idea. Like I knew communications. I had done yeah. that. I knew how to communicate, but I did not know policy. I did not know the party. I did not know the people. Um, and there was a brilliant time when me, Richard and John had gone to a an event where we had to, we were promoting um, having raised the tax threshold um, again. Um, and uh, <laughs> I really didn't want to go to this event. I just didn't have the time and I was in a foul mood about it. And I arrived and we were doing all the kind of waiting for the media to arrive and the rest of it. And I'd sat down and to the left of me was a guy and I had no idea who he was. And he said, oh, what are you here for? And I said, oh, we're here for this event. I was mumbling and moaning and I was not in the mood <laughs> and I was complaining about it. And I was, you know, criticizing everybody yeah. and all the rest. It was a foul, foul, foul mood. 
And um, I turned to him and I was like, oh, so what are you here for then? And he was like, um, I'm actually uh, Danny Alexander. <laughs> and I, the funny thing is, is everyone laughs at that bit of the story, but I still didn't know who Danny Alexander was. He's done enough of you. Oh, so okay, I was like, oh, right. And then Richard came over and was yeah. like, probably shut the fuck up. That is. <laughs> and explained who yeah. Danny Alexander was. And I was like, oh, right. Oh, Danny Alexander. Exactly. Yeah. And do you know what? He was so funny. He was really lovely about it and took it so well. God love him. Because I had really just spent the whole time criticizing him and everything that was happening and the whole yeah. event and all the rest of it. Um, so there was absolutely, um, you know, not just imposter syndrome, but just, you know, just <laughs> feeling, feeling that disconnected, com- like, yeah, yeah, completely disconnected. But, you know, that again was another kind of thing that kept me in the party is having people like Richard who they didn't give up on you. And John was the same, like John was really good. I mean, he had his own way of doing it. And anyone that knows John that's listening to this will know that John is a very, you know, particular type of personality um you know he has his own way of doing things but he was he saw the value in what I did and knew that I needed just a bit of help on that on the kind of party policy side of things yeah and I always found it quite kind of um I don't know quite kind of not moving that's a bit dramatic but I found it quite kind of um nice for want of a better word that's a really bad word but just that these people kind of stuck with me and were prepared to kind of just help me get through the kind of phase of not really knowing yeah they work, work on aspects to it without being without being judgy i guess because exactly yeah there is this like per- perception <clears throat> that you're meant to know everything and everything yes. everybody and i've had you've all met them people you meet them yeah and people talk at... in first names as if you're supposed oh, to know God, who yeah, oh so and so came through yeah. and i'd be like i don't know who that is yeah. and that that was what was really great is that i was never like you say there was never judgment there was never kind of like condescending comments yes there were jokes made and you know i joined in on that but um ultimately everyone was there to kind of support each other and I found that quite kind of I just found it quite kind of motivating that people were you know no matter how many times I, I did things like not know who the chief secretary the treasury was <laughs> forgiven uh, for it, yeah. <laughs> um they would sort of stick with me and um yeah I found that quite well quite um motivating that's excellent so the, so the comms stuff came first and the politics yeah. was that you know it because comms like you say it's transferable to mm. so many different areas of life yeah. and that role of communications in politics because obviously we're talking the whole aim of this podcast is to kind of pull the curtain back and you know speak to people who work behind politics because i think people exactly. will be surprised and people will be surprised to hear from you people will be surprised to hear from some of the other guests we've had about the way their life journey has been mm-hmm. because there is this um preconceived idea of of what a political staffer is or what they're like or there's this polished spin doctor um who did ppe <laughs> at oxford and you know there yeah. are some people who've done ppe at oxford and that's great but <laughs> there's also people who've done you know a huge range of other things and i guess politics is so all-encompassing that there are so many different rules yeah. within that within that system Absolutely. there's policy there's comms there's you know and, and like you I'm you know firmly on that comms side of things and that's you know take me in the charitable sector now which is mm. great and I'm really enjoying but you know you can always keep keep a hand in with politics because communication I guess you know and I'm presuming this is your experience as well communication is so central yeah. to anything to do with politics but it's also it's you're absolutely right but it is also the um i actually think that i found almost like a niche in 
being deliberately uninformed because one of the mm. big mistakes that everybody makes in politics whether they're a politician an advisor pr whatever is that they get so wrapped up and so involved that they forget what it's like to be someone who isn't interested yeah. and they forget what it's like and i still had that relatively recently then in the sense that i was still so uninvolved and so uninterested that they would say or they would explain something and I'd be like, you've lost me. And if you've lost me, <laughs> you've lost everybody else. You've lost everyone else. Yes, yeah, so so you've got that. You can give that perspective on, yeah. you know, if, if, I'm not, if I'm not following you here, then yeah, other people well, aren't. And that's, it's really valuable to, to, to maintain that. And so one of, the, one of the kind of recent successes that we had in the Dems was in the 20, uh, I get all my years mixed up now, 2019 local elections. Um, I designed the Lib Dem manifesto for the local elections, which was not putting up with this shit anymore. Like, oh, yeah. One of the yeah. one of the things was start out, and it went down so well, and it ended up getting so much media coverage because it was just normal in the sense yeah. that that was how people felt. People yeah. were so sick of politics at the time; they were so sick of everything that was going on. Um, you know, and it didn't matter whether that was because of Brexit, whether it was because of, you know, everyone hating Jeremy Corbyn, whether it was because we'd had God knows how many prime ministers, general Ooh, elections every sick. 15 minutes, like people were just so tired of it. And it ended up, it really tapped into that just sense of frustration and just exhaustion. Um, and I don't think you get that if you become too sort of lost from the real world you really like i actively try to stay uninformed for that reason so that i can kind of feel what the public feels and that was it was funny that someone was recently texting me about all the you know the parties in number 10 and they were like do you think it'll (laughs) stick and i said yes because i can feel it i can feel normal people are pissed about this yeah you you can feel that it cut through in a different way well you start seeing it on i'm a celebrity get me out of here or you start seeing (laughs) rylan clark tweeting about it or friends or friends who you went to big one friends who you went to school with you know on facebook who exactly are not politically informed couldn't care less Mm -hmm. who were all of a sudden engaged with it exactly exactly yeah that's how you know that that difference in in cut through and and that comes kind of (laughs) <laughs> that, yeah. that, I guess, you know, on one side of it, you know, you think you, you think to yourself, oh, you know, great, finally, you know, the, these are the people I've campaigned to remove from power. However, you also think in the in the comms, you know, those moments with Allegra Stratton and all the rest of it, mm-hmm. you know, you think to yourself, you, part of you as a comms professional thinks, oh, my God, that's my worst nightmare, oh, you know? God. I've lost uh, track of a number of times <laughs> that, like, people, you know, people go, oh, you, you know, you love Labour too much, you love the Tories too much, because something happens, I think. God love them. I feel yeah. <laughs> I am right. You know, I feel for you. I'm there with you. You know, I just yeah, think absolutely. You know, there were so many times when Jeremy Corbyn was leader that I thought, I feel for his team. Like <laughs> hardcore. Like I feel for you guys. You know, emotionally, yeah. mentally, I am with you. You know, I just, I wanted to reach out and be like, just hang in there. Like keep a bit going, of, you know? a bit of solidarity. Uh, across, exactly. Yeah. Um yeah. And that that kind of um that frustration that we've talked about feeling, you know, as a as a mm. staff, there's obviously a lot of positives as well. You know, who's yeah. listening to to this who would be in, you know, who wants to go into politics or wants yeah. to think about working in politics. There's a lot of um, you know, a lot of positives as well as uh, you know the, those challenges that come with it. One yeah. of the challenges you've you've spoken about before that I wanted to touch on as well was um, the aspect of, of feminism, particularly mm. when it came to joe swinson's leadership Mm, and 
that sexism that you know she faced as the first female leader of the Lib Dems. Yeah. Um, do you you know how how do you feel about that with with a bit of time that's passed since so you, that you've been able to process what happened? Yeah, it's it's a it's a really weird one because again at the time Jo Swinson was was just maligned so much and she was just you know cast aside and I I look back now and you know for sure we made some mistakes um but I think what is generally said about Jo Swinson's leadership is how you know, incredible and ridiculous it was that she sort of presented herself as a candidate for prime minister. And the thing that I find so amazing about that is that I look back and I think, okay, well, at the time, the Lib Dems polled number one in the country. Okay, so we were ahead of Labour, we were ahead of the Conservatives, mm-hmm. we were polling number one. So in itself, it's plausible to say, well, of course, if we're polling number one, then the leader of the Lib Dems would be prime minister. But not only that, but if you go back to 2010 when Nick Clegg did exactly the same thing, nobody questioned that. Mm. And in fact, we were lower in the polls. We were not polling anywhere near as high as we were under Joe Swinson. And no one questioned that. And there were a number of things that happened throughout Joe Swinson's leadership. And I mean, for the record, I am not Joe Swinson's biggest fan. I thought Mm -hmm. she was a very capable minister. I thought she was a very capable leader. She made some mistakes, as did, you know, as did we, um, as yeah. in, you know, people around her and around the party. Um, but, you know, I was much more aligned to the, to the likes of Tim Farron. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I personally would be slightly more removed from the coalition. However, um, I, the, the abuse that she got as leader was, I still find really difficult to come to terms with because I, I had to go on on the day of the general election when polls are closed, I had to go and sort of do the whole, you know, sit on, on live radio and spin the results and spin the kind of exit poll. And yeah. I sat there and I watched the clock hit 10 o'clock and I thought, this is just, this doesn't feel good at all. No. Um, and I was on with Stephen Nolan and a few other people and um, yeah. the exit poll came out and... I immediately started to kind of, you know, justify what had happened and all the rest of it. And a number of kind of, you know, um, tabloids wrote articles about how I was, you know, desperately spinning things and I was blowing things out of proportion and all the rest of it. But there was, and I maintain this to this day, there was a really, and actually at the time, I think in, there's a, there's a radio clip that kind of went, that went around social media where everyone was, you know, joking and, and sort of, you know, taking the mick out of me because I had said, that there was a real issue because the news had cut to a picture of Josephson's shoes during her manifesto launch. Yeah. And at the time of the interview, I actually think I undersold that. I actually, mm-hmm. in hindsight, think that it was a much bigger issue than I had appreciated at the time. That the media, very, very quietly, and I'm afraid I do think the other party leaders had a part to play in this as well, um, built a narrative that was Boris Johnson leader, Jeremy Corbyn leader, woman. Leader, mm-hmm. leader, woman. Prime Minister, Prime Minister, woman. And it was never, she was never presented in the same way as the other two leaders. Um, And there was no reason for it because, as I say, we were polling well at the time. Yes, we started to slip during the campaign, but we had maintained, you know, we had incredible local and um, European elections earlier in the year where we had just, you know, surpassed all expectations. Um, Membership was at an all-time high. You know, there was momentum with us. It was not... um, 
you know out of the out of the you know anything realistic to suggest that she could win um and i remember going back and watching the manifesto launches for all three parties and we were the only one that they cut to a picture of her shoes one and it mm-hmm. and i remember thinking this is just that narrative that is we're just going to remind you you may think that what she's saying is great but we're just going to remind you she's a woman and in case mm. you forgot here's a picture of her shoes it's a different it's a completely different kind of criticism isn't it yeah attack, feel attack anybody for their policies attack them for their voting record attack them for whatever you want do not attack them just because they are a woman or because yeah. they are a different race or because of their sexuality or whatever it is that is where i i i take such issue with what happened in that 2019 election yeah um because it wasn't just that it was that she I remember this this interview she had and someone was like, oh, it must be so difficult being, you know, the leader of a national political party and buying Christmas presents for your children. I just thought, what the fuck is that? <laughs> like, awful. have yeah. you asked Jeremy Corbyn and Boris Johnson that? Of course yeah. you haven't. Of course you haven't. Um, you know, and it, it irritated me. The manifesto thing irritated me because actually generally Lib Dem manifestos are quite well received actually if they if people read them they're like oh that's actually really balanced and quite well thought out they're fully costed they make a lot of sense um they you know they're not like super right super left mm. like they they tend to be the public want when you test the manifesto generally think actually that we're pretty sensible um and so it annoyed me that in the middle of this kind of pitch of how you know Joe was going to fix the country and we were going to you know, resolve this issue around Brexit, it was just like okay. By the way, here are her shoes. And talk about her shoes and yeah, you know, and, and at home, her domestic duties as a woman and all the rest. Exactly. Yeah, the same with Theresa May, didn't you? Yeah, as well? ex- and, and right. And those so frustrations. Even you know, you voiced them. A lot of people at the time are voicing them. You. Know, Criticized by members of your own party, if you did for a lot of the time, because mm. you think, well, this is a what you this opportunity you have a dig at you know at the Tories, but we can have a dig at people without you know for God's sake, there's so many there's mm. so many policies of Theresa May's that I can take a dig exactly. at that are exactly. nothing to do with her the way she dresses, exactly. you know, all that interview with you know her, her husband and her having the girl jobs and the boy jobs exactly. in the house, all of that nonsense. So yeah, well, being at the center of of that and seeing that personally must have been incredibly frustrating. Well, and it's funny you mentioned Theresa May actually, because there is one of the most frustrating days I remember was um, Theresa May's last day as prime minister in parliament was, happened to be um, Joe Swinson's first day as leader of the Liberal Democrats. All right. And, um, or the first day she was giving a speech. And so, um, there was a there was a moment where Theresa May sort of said, you know, it's been a privilege to lead the country and so on and so forth. Um, and, you know, whilst I'm obviously sad to be standing down as only the second female prime minister, I'm really glad that I can, to some degree, kind of hand that baton over to Joe. And I want to congratulate her as being the first woman to lead the Liberal Democrats. And there was just this brief moment of, we don't agree on much. Um, yeah. Certainly not on Brexit at the time. <laughs> But I know how hard you had to fight to get there. You know, yeah, there was exactly. just that moment of forget everything. You've had. I know you've had to fight ten times harder than everybody that's come before you. And I just want to say, you know, congratulations on that. And the house erupted into, you know, oh, all the Dems are Tories and this, that, the other. And it just, yeah. it was so heartbreaking because I thought 
there was a genuine moment, actually. And we all say, you know, everyone says we would love to have more genuine people in politics. <laughs> and, all, and there was there, yeah. there it was, that moment of, you know, real connection where you forget everything and you just say, you know, fair play to you. I get it. I mm-hmm. understand. I, you know, I don't agree with you, but I wish you well in your in your role. And they were torn down and Joe, you know, stood up to give her speech and an MP actually told her to sit down love in the middle of her speech. Yeah, I remember was, that. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that yeah. was, and I just thought, oh, is this real? Is this, you know, yeah. <laughs> this is am what I... we're going through like, right yeah, now. Am I, in, am I in a different, am I in some kind of dreamscape here? Yeah. It just doesn't feel right. It was just, and so those, those, those aspects I found personally really, really difficult and it really it really brought home to me how that must have been for Hillary Clinton in 2016 and God, you yeah. know, the kind of the, the little things that we experienced well not little they were quite significant but those kind of things that we experienced with Joe as leader um it well, those was... debates with with Trump and exactly. with Hillary following around the stage exactly um, kind it... of over, like shadowing like physically shadowing it which yeah was and bizarre. at the time we all sort of knew it was bad and we, but we didn't really quite know how to process it. We were just sort of like, yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Like this guy's an asshole. He should definitely not be president. Yeah. And when um, things about when things happen, when criticisms happen to, to politicians, there is always that like, like, you know, from the public or that, that, Oh yeah, that's bad. We know that shouldn't be happening, but it's a politician. So it's all right. Yes. There's, and I think that was certainly the case with, with Joe Swinson is that there was a real kind of, well, not only is she a politician, um, but she was a politician during the coalition, which, um, yeah. you know, I mean, I frankly, I mean, the coalition was the last decent government, in my opinion, that this country had. I mean, if you look at what's happened since <laughs> Lib Dems left coalition, it's just been permanent chaos, like general elections every day, it feels like, um, you know, Boris Johnson is PM, um, you know, I wasn't the biggest coalition fan, but my God, would I take it back over Boris Johnson, you know, Um <laughs> But you know she was she was you know quite high up in the coalition, and so there was a lot of abuse aimed at her for that. Yeah. Um. And I think there was a a point at which people sort of missed the line or didn't see it, and it transitioned from criticism of positions and policies and voting records into just you're a woman and you just should yeah. get abused for that. It justifies, you know, because she's done something you can genuinely criticize, it justifies all attacks on her yeah, um, well, in people's minds. Somehow, somehow it flicks a switch. And it's similar with, you know, uh, you know, I undoubtedly get criticism from friends and, and family for this one, but it's similar with Margaret Thatcher. And, mm. you know, Margaret Thatcher is the antithesis of my politics, of my worldview. Yeah. Um, you know, she it goes without saying <clears throat> I, I don't agree, or I don't think I've ever agreed with, with anything she ever did. However, that you know, there's the criticism of everything she did politically and how she ran the country, but because people feel so passionately about that, for some reason that gives them justification to you know, I mean, I regularly hear misogynistic language used to describe Absolutely. Margaret Thatcher yeah, yeah, yeah. all the time. Um, <clears throat> it just it crosses that line, as you say, for people. Well, it's it's funny you say that actually because um, Joe wrote um, a piece in the newspaper. This was one of the big, big things that came back um, during the campaign. She wrote a piece in a paper saying that there this. should be um, a statue for Margaret Thatcher in Parliament Square. <laughs> and of course, from a from a you know from an advisor's point of view, you're a bit like. You know, yeah, you know, why yeah. would you do that? But then, to be honest, I, I, I came round and sort of thought, you know, 
I agree with you. I, I, I'm not a fan of Thatcher by any stretch of the imagination. But she was the first woman to become prime minister of this country, and actually, quite a long time ago. When you think yeah. about how ahead of her time she was, you know, America still hasn't had a woman mm-hmm. president. You know, and they just threw away the best opportunity they had to have a woman president, and yet. We actually had one quite a while ago, and we don't acknowledge it because it's become so popular to to hate her that we don't stop to think. Actually, that was quite significant that we elected yeah. a woman as as prime minister. Um, and it's very tribal to say, you know. To, and I mean, I remember at the time being one of the people who criticised Joe Swinson over that. I mean, I remember the guy that like Thanks. publicly <laughs> was was outraged, you know, by it. I was so angry and I was fuming. That's a that's another example of the Lib Dems are just Tories. They're just the same. You know, I was so caught up in it. Whereas actually now, when I look back. You know, I can think. Do you know what it is? The argument that she's putting forward is a is a justifiable argument. It's that you know, hang on a minute. We've got all these statues of um of all these male prime ministers and huge exactly. figures, and you know, who mark significant changes in in direction for the country. You know, why haven't we got one for the the one female who we had at that time? Obviously, before Theresa May. Why don't we have you know? One for for Margaret Thatcher, so I can understand. Obviously, it's one of those things that's always going to be a toxic. It's always going to be around. difficult. But I think I think this is the um, the issue that we have with uh, politics at the moment. There is there's no nuance, there's no context, and mm-hmm. you know we we have no issue with Winston Churchill being there, but he has a really yeah, really yeah. difficult legacy with Ireland, and and you know I mean generally has a bit of a difficult legacy, um, but particularly around Ireland and other things, he really has. Some, oh yeah, it's just just as divisive, if not more, than Margaret Thatcher. Exactly, and yet you know we are so regularly told—not told, but taught in school—that you know Winston Churchill is the ultimate leader. He is the ultimate prime mm-hmm. minister. He is the man that we should all aspire to to be like. And to you know, his speeches were so great, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, when actually Margaret Thatcher, Winston Churchill. Okay, so Churchill led us through a war and all the rest of it, but yeah, I don't know. I just think that there's you know I. I I look back. They're treated differently, and that's the thing, isn't it? When you look at it and yeah. you think, what are the differences between these two people? What are the differences? You know, you take any male leader, you take a female leader. What are the differences? One's female, one's male, and they're treated differently as a result. And well, I think once you realise that, once, exactly. once you kind of, the rose-tinted glasses come off a bit and you start seeing the world, you realise, actually, God, that is, you know, we are it's judging... Bleak. It's yeah, really, it is bleak. And I think the 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 real issue is that it becomes it becomes a argument about oh well you're a Tory because you want this or Lib Dems mm-hmm. and coalition or you know this that and actually what you miss is that you know and the point that I was making in that interview that got so heavily criticised was not that um, Joe Swinson and the Liberal Democrats lost the 2019 election because Sky News showed a picture of her shoes. Mm-hmm. It was the, the there is a fundamental issue that women have a much much shorter and far far tougher period in which to establish themselves as quote unquote a credible leader. Yeah, and you have to waste so much valuable time talking about their appearance, talking about their relationships, talking you know justifying positions that no man has had to justify, and it's cataclysmic for a campaign. And you don't you know it reveals, frankly, in my opinion still to this day a, a pretty deeply unsettling truth about how we as a country and as a society treat ambitious women forget the party 
we treat ambitious women who who are seeking the same position that we don't blink twice at men obtaining um mm. and we treat them completely differently and the, the the issue that we had in that campaign of course was that you know we didn't have the time <laughs> you know yeah. we didn't have any yeah. time the, the 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 uk and the country was 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 speeding towards a, a pile up um and we were desperate to avoid um brexit at any cost and you know talking about Joe Swinson's earrings, talking about her shrill <laughs> voice, talking about her 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 skirts and her or and, you know, nagging. Yeah. And all, nagging yeah, yeah. People, oh, yeah. you know, you know, get back to the kitchen, all sort of stuff. We just didn't have the time to deal with that. And yeah. in the end, she just became, you know, just kind of roadkill in, in the in the car crash that was the twenty nineteen election. But yeah. you know, what was interesting, I don't know if you saw this actually, but what was interesting is after the election we did a huge review of the election, probably the most comprehensive we've ever done. But there was also a lot of research from third-party organizations. And um, we we ended up finding out that basically all of the searches related to Joe um, were all sexist. Something like the top 60% of her searches were things like weight, measurements, um, body uh God they were sake. all you know accent teeth yeah. earrings dress skirt um you know big chest boobs like all this sort of stuff that that's all <laughs> the stuff that came out and of course you google boris johnson it's leader it's policy it's manifesto it's brexit mm-hmm. it, it, they're just not comparable and that's why as you can tell from this monologue <laughs> i still find <laughs> it really difficult to yeah to kind of look back on that time because it was just Absolutely. I don't I don't mind losing an election based on policy but I do mind losing an election based on gender you know it's yeah, it's, it's just fundamentally unfair and it's so it's so important that's the whole point of this podcast is to hear is to humanize the figures behind those those campaigns and those times because they are significant times in in our political history and at one time will be written up into history textbooks which is a depressing thought in itself but you know we we have to (laughs) we have to document you know the experiences the human experiences of people behind them so i'm really pleased you've been able to to give us that detail pablo on on what it's what's been like and how you still feel about it as well but i could talk to you all day about it but but just before we conclude Mm. I, i want to just ask you if you had one key piece of advice to somebody who, of any age, of any age, who was looking to go into working in politics, um, you know, whether it's somebody who is a student currently or somebody who, you know, has worked in a different career and wants to look at working for an MP or working for a politician or mm. a political party, what, what do you think the one key piece of advice you would give them would be? Blimey. Um, <laughs> gosh, that's so tough. I think... I think what I have found really valuable is trying your best to leave tribalism behind. It's 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 hard, okay? Like it that is hard, but instead of going to a party and thinking, okay, now I am a hundred percent Labour, I am a hundred percent Lib Dem or whatever, go in there with a kind of open mind, see who is working hard in your area. That is basically what happened to me is that I saw how hard John works and I just thought, I can't leave this guy to struggle on his own. Like he deserves to have someone, you know, working with him and and helping him. Yeah. And I think that gave me a really valuable entry point in that I didn't come with this 
history. And I actually, I remember my dad, when he heard about this, he was like, well, you know that, um, you know, John's a Lib Dem, you know, like he's a liberal Democrat, <laughs> you know? And there was, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't like, you know, telling me not to go for a bit. He was like, yeah, there was, there was a question mark over it. And now my dad has kind of come around and he sort of sees things the same way that I do from kind of local perspective. But um, I definitely think that that gave me a much more uh, clearer entry point and a clearer insight to party politics, which mm-hmm. in my opinion needs, we need that more than ever. We need to work more cross party. We need to have more of those moments where Theresa May and Joe Swinton can exchange, you know, just a, just a moment of relief that, that there are two women in senior positions. And we need more of that. And, you know, we need to forget the fact that you know, you hate someone because they voted a certain way because no one party is always awful. You know, the Tories have done good things in government. They have not been 100% terrible. They have been mostly terrible, but not 100%, you know. Um, And I think think that's the advice that I'll give is just try really hard not to get caught up in, well, I'm a Lib Dem now. That means that everybody that's not a Lib Dem is just awful. Well, I'm Labour now. I'm going to inherit... Going to inherit everybody else's battles yeah, from the last hundred years. Actually, that is the that's it. It's inheriting. It's inheriting baggage, and you can inherit it from your parents, from your friends. You know, people who tell you, "Oh, well, I'd never vote yeah. the Dem because of the coalition. I'd never vote Labour because of Jeremy Corbyn. I'd never vote Conservative because of Boris Johnson." Well, fine, but you need to make your own views on that. You need to kind of come to your own conclusions on that, and. Yeah. You know as well as I do, like you have to defend things in Labour that fundamentally you're a bit like, actually, I'm not 100% on board with that. But on most things, you align with Labour. There are absolutely things in the Lib Dems that I'm like, I don't really, you know, they really care about COVID passports. They really care about civil liberties. That's not really my thing. But that's all right, because on other things, I really do agree with them. So I think it's finding that maintaining nuance and context is, is a job that I think all of us could really do more of <laughs> you know? excellent well they're what they're wise words words <laughs> to live by thank you very much pablo ohana for your time it's been a pleasure a to job. have you on people behind politics thank you for having me you've been listening to people behind politics i've been your host james matthewson and I'd like to thank our producer, Charlie Hornsby. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can access the latest weekly episodes as and when they're released. Thanks for listening.